How many is glad to be in this house tonight? I'm glad that all of you decided to show up on this cold January evening for a midweek service, expecting God to do something. been a while that's all right I've got something tonight that I feel that God's placed on my heart the past couple of weeks how many love when God just he just speaks to you in that small still voice it's, but you know it's him he he just kind of nudges you a little bit and you know that it's God Tonight, I want to preach to you on somebody that's very familiar, we're very familiar with, the very first king of Israel, a man by the name of Saul. We're not going to start in chapter 15. I know that's what I, I have for scripture. We're going to start somewhere else. We're going to start in 1 Samuel 9. This is where it all starts for Saul. This is in the the previous chapter, God's speaking to Samuel, the prophet, and he's telling him what's about to happen. He says, my people's asked for a king. I don't really want to give them a king, but I'm going to give them what they asked for. How many know you got to be careful what you ask God for? Because he might just give it to you. So, the previous chapter, God prepares Samuel and he he tells him that there's going to be a king over Israel. He tells him what to look for. And then in 1 Samuel 9, it starts out, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name... Name was Kish, the son of Abiel, Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechareth, the son of Apheth, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And Kish, he had a son whose name was Saul. The Bible says a choice young man and a goodly. And the Bible says this about Saul, and it says, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So before I go any farther, I just I just want to go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come before you. God, we, we come to you seeking you. Lord, that you might have your way in this service. God, that you help me to speak whatever that you would have me to speak to your people. God, we ask that you open our hearts that we might receive it, that we might not leave the same way that we came in, but with something changed about us, with something in our heart, 
something that we can grow from. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the Bible sets this foundation for who's going to be the next, the first king of Israel. And the Bible says that it's a man by the name of Saul, and it gives some of his lineage, and it even tells which tribe that he belongs to. And the Bible says that there is not a goodlier person in all of Israel than Saul. And it describes that he has a profile, not just not just with his character, but also in a physical appearance. He has a profile that fits what we would think of as a king. He says that, the Bible says that he, from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So he was another head taller than everybody else in Israel. So, Kish, who is Saul's father, he sends Saul out on this journey to find some sheep. Or to find some donkeys, rather. And Kish said unto to Saul his son, Take now of the servants with thee, and arise, and go seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim, and passed through the land of Shalisha. And they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, and they found them not. And they were come to the land of Zuf. And Saul said to his servants, That was with him, Come and let us return, lest my father leave, caring for the asses, and to take thought for us. And he said unto him, Behold, now there is this city, a man of God, and he is honorable man. And all that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither, and preadventure he can show us our way that we should go. And Saul said to his servants, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man of God? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to bring to the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul and said, Behold, I have... Here at my hand forth part of a shekel of silver, that will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come and let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. So they devised this plan. They're, they're looking for what the father, his father had sent him out to find. And they go through several different places and they, and they can't find what his father had sent him out to find. So Saul, he says to his servants, he says, why don't we just go see the man of God? Maybe the man of God can help us. So they have to come up with something that that they can give the man of God because you have to go, when you go to the man of God, you, you have to bring something to offer to God. So this is what they bring. They bring a fourth part of a shekel of silver. It says, Then Saul 
Then said Saul to his servants, Well said, come, let us go. So they went into the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill, they found a young maiden going out to draw water and said unto them, It's a seer here. And they answered him and said, He is. Behold, he is before you. Make haste now, for he come he came today to the city, for there is a sacrifice of the people today in the high place. So so luckily for Saul they were already making a sacrifice in the in the place. And as soon as ye be come into the city, y'all straightway find him before he go up into the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice. And afterwards they eat that be bidden. Now therefore get you up, for about this time you shall find him. And they went into the city, and when they were come into the city, behold, Samuel came out against them, for to go up to the high place. So they just catch Samuel. Samuel's about to make his journey into the high place to, to, to sacrifice on behalf of the children of Israel. So it says... Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came. And this is what God has to say to Samuel. Tomorrow, about this time, I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin. And thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry is come unto me. And when Samuel saw, saw the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. So this is what happens. Saul goes and he, he's looking for the man of God and sure enough he finds the man of God. And it lines right up with what what Samuel was told just the previous day. And this is where, where Saul's journey begins. And we already know that Saul, well, the Bible tells us that Saul is a good person and, and there's none goodlier than he. So we see the, the intent of Saul, it's sincere. And I think that's very important that you have to catch that tonight, that that in the beginning, Saul was sincere. He sincerely wanted to do what was right. He sincerely looked to the man of God. And then in, in verse 18, bear with me. We're going to finish reading this chapter. But I think it's necessary to set this up. It says, Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered, Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go, and I will tell thee all that is in thine heart. And as for thine asses that, that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found, and on whom is all the desire of Israel, and it is not on thee, and not on all thy father's house. And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest tribes of Israel? And my family 
the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? So this is what Samuel does. He brings them in and and they stay there for the night. And Samuel feeds Saul. And they go on and it says, And Samuel took Saul and his servants and brought them into the parlor and made them to sit in the chiefest places among them that were bidden, which were about thirty persons. And Samuel said unto the cook, Bring the portion which I gave thee, of which I said unto thee, Set it by thee. And the cook took up the shoulder that, and that which was upon it, and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold that which is left. Set it before thee, and eat. For unto this time hath it been kept for thee since I said. I have invited the people, so Saul did eat with Samuel that day. And when they were come down from the high place in the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they arose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up that I may send thee away. And Saul arose, and they went out, both of them, and Samuel, he and Samuel abroad. And they were going down to the end of the city. Samuel said unto Saul, Bid the servants pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. So Samuel tells Saul, he says, you just go ahead and send your servants on before us and you just stay here with me for just a little while. I got, I've got something for you. So we find in the next chapter, right out of the gate, then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, it is not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be the captain over his inheritance. When thou art departed from me this day, thou shalt find two men by the sepulchres in the border of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they shall say unto thee, The asses which thou went is to seek are found, and lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? So right here, Saul is anointed king over Israel which is a major step. The very first king is, is now anointed. And Samuel, I'm not going to go through it, but Samuel gives him some things to look for on his way back. He tells him that he's going to find two people by Rachel's sepulcher, and, and they're going to do something for him, and then He's going to find another set of people and they're going to do something for him. Sure enough, all this comes to pass. And Samuel tells him, when all this comes to pass, know that God is with thee. Once all this happens, know that God is with thee. So it happens. And Saul, Saul is now the first king over Israel and, and he does good for a while. He leads the people well for a while. And there was a few decisions that that Saul made. And hear me, it was with good intentions, but was the wrong decision. 
And Saul didn't want to hear about his wrong decision that he made. So, ultimately those decisions caused Saul's downfall. They were scars that did not immediately cause the the fall of Saul, but over a period of time, it caused the collapse of, of his reign over Israel. And we know what happens next. We know that David is anointed the next king over Israel. We know that David will soon take the place of Saul, but hear me, it doesn't happen overnight. There were some things that happened in in the reign of Saul that, that caused the collapse of his reign in Israel. There was some scar tissue in Saul's life from some poor decisions that he made throughout along his way. There were some deep-rooted scars in his life. There were some things that he did that he should not have done, but, but instead of just hearing the man of God, he fought with the man of God. So we find in 1 Samuel chapter 15 what happens the first time. Saul makes a sacrifice. See, in those days you couldn't couldn't directly make a sacrifice to God. You had to go to a man of God, which would be Samuel, And he had to make the sacrifice for you. But Saul, being the king, he thinks that he can just go ahead and and hop right over Samuel and, and make a sacrifice unto God. And the Bible talks about how how God did not hear Saul. He did not answer Saul. Because that's not how it was supposed to go. He jumped right over the man of God. How many know that you've got to be very careful going beside or behind the man of God? You've got to be very careful with, with how you approach things, how you, how you handle certain things. You better be very careful just overlooking the man of God. The man of God is set up in your life for a very special reason, and, and you should not just hop over the man of God. The man of God is set as a shepherd for us. And it wasn't much different in the Old Testament, but it was a serious offense to just jump over the prophet. The prophet was to lead the king, but the king was to lead the people. But but the king couldn't lead the people if the prophet didn't lead the king. See, if, if Saul wanted to be in the will of God, he had to follow Samuel. Because Samuel was the one that had the connection with God. So if Saul's going to be the man to lead God's people, he has to be in connection with the man of God. And in the heat of a battle, Saul makes this decision. And he makes a sacrifice unto God. The Bible says that God does not hear and does not answer Saul. Because of that. And Samuel tries to correct Saul about this. The first thing that happens, he goes in and he's fighting a battle with the Amalekites. And Samuel says, Thus saith the Lord, 
Wipe out everything. I don't want anything left. I don't want any livestock left. I don't want any women, children, men, kings. I don't want anybody left. I want you to completely wipe them out. So Saul, with good intention, he saves the livestock. And his reasoning for saving the livestock is that we can sacrifice it to God. And Samuel, Samuel's wroth with Saul for this. And he tells him, he says, did God not tell you to wipe out every part of the Amalekites? Did I not say to just wipe out everything? Not only did he keep the livestock, but he also kept the king, Agag. And he kept Agag as a prisoner. And Samuel was not happy. It says, And when Samuel rose early, excuse me, back up one verse, it says, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed any of my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. It says, And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul, come to Carmel. And behold, set him up a place is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So they meet Samuel and Saul. And Saul, he thinks that everything's good. He says, look, I did what you asked. I did what I was instructed to. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So then Samuel said unto Saul, stay and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said unto me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, thou wast made the head of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? So out of good intention, Saul he saves some of the, the parts of the Amalekites, but, but God tells Samuel to tell him to utterly destroy the Amalekites. So this is just a, the first bump in the road. And we can see later on that, that this is the point at where there's a scar, there's scar tissue that, that begins to develop here. And Saul listens to what Samuel has to say. 
It said, And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I have brought Agag, the king of, the, of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So Samuel asked him, Are, are sacrifices really better than just obeying God? I think you should catch that. There's nothing better than just obeying God. It don't matter how many sacrifices you make, if you just don't obey God, then there's no point. Obeying God should be a first priority in your life. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. Always better than sacrifice. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as a great delight burnt offerings, as obeying the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. It says, But thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected thee from king. So right here was the final straw. Saul right here was, the anointing was removed from his life at this point. In previous chapters, Saul offered offerings to God without going to the man of God. And Samuel tried to correct him about that. And, and he did it two different times. And it grows from there. His disobedience is ultimately the downfall of Saul. But it's a deep-rooted scar that, that is buried from his disobedience. See, Saul is just consumed by disobedience. He's trying to, to correct what's happening. Saul just kind of, he kind of strikes out. He makes a, a sacrifice to God in the previous chapters, and ever since then, Saul has just kind of he's just kind of struck out. He's been trying to do right, but but instead of just listening to God, he tries to go above and beyond, and he just kind of strikes out. So it's a scar that was never correctly corrected. It wasn't handled in the, the right way, and, and obedience never came to Saul. See, Saul, he wanted to do good. And I believe that Saul wanted to do good in such a way that, that he wanted to go above and beyond. But, but how many know that you got to be very careful trying to go above and beyond because you can mess some things up very easy. You just got to listen to the man of God. There's no reason for you to have to go above and beyond. In due time, God will raise you up. You don't need to set yourself up. God will do it when the time is right. So these deep-rooted scars is what, 
what the ultimate, ultimate downfall is to Saul. Something that was never, really, never course corrected properly. How many has ever had had something that maybe they messed up? Maybe you, maybe somebody's messed up in here. I know I've messed up at work. Messed up trying to put a part on, break another part, and it just seems like you just can't get it right. How many's ever been there? Has anybody else ever been there? You just feel like you're just kind of striking out. You break this, and then. You think you're doing good and you get going, get going, and you break something else. You mess this up. And many times we can find ourselves in, in, in that very situation. Maybe not to the severity of Saul, but, but you have to be careful because something minor can turn into something as catastrophic as, as Saul. It's okay if you fall down. You just have to get back up and make sure that that you do everything in your power to stay away from what caused you to fall. See, it's okay to mess up every once in a while. It happens. All of us are human. That's not a license to sin, but it happens. We mess up. As humans, we mess up. When When we try to take something into our own hands, we can mess it up really easy. And this is where Saul is. Saul messes up. And he just kind of strikes out the rest of his his reign in Israel. And there's a a vicious spiral out of control once you get past 1 Samuel chapter 15, even to the point of Saul trying to kill his armor bearer. And Saul goes as far as killing priests. And killing prophets, having his men kill these people. Because he just spirals out of control because there was, there was a problem that wasn't properly fixed in his life. There was something that happened that when it was corrected, it, wasn't, it didn't get done healing properly. And that can happen very easy. Last year... be very transparent with you. Last year was hands down the hardest year of my life. And I know some of you think, well, you're only 21. How many hard years could you have? But I'm here to tell you that spiritually and emotionally, last year was hard. And I just felt like I was kind of striking out. And I can understand where Saul's at. And there's a lot of people in the church that do the same thing. They get to a place and they might mess something up. It's okay to mess it up. But when you're corrected, you have to take that to heart. And you need time to heal. You can't just jump back up and and go at it again because you're going to get knocked right back down. That happens in the church, and, and I bet that there's more people than we realize that are sitting under the sound of my voice that are going through that very thing. It's something that's not really brought to light very often, but, but I'm here to tell you it happens. And if you don't heal properly, it just becomes worse and worse and worse 
and worse. And the farther you, the longer you just let that go, it just gets worse. And, and it might not happen overnight. Your fall might not happen overnight. See, you might get 20 years down the road. And then something goes sideways and, and you're, next thing you know, you're out in the world and you're backslidden. Because of something that's not corrected and, and healed properly right now. You have to be very careful with hiccups in your life, in your spiritual life. And, and I feel like there's everybody, nobody wants to admit it because there's too much shame in it. Is that fair to say? Would everybody agree with that? There, a lot of people don't want to admit that because there's too much shame in that. There's too much shame associated with, you know, we're a child of God and we're not supposed to do that. Yeah, that's true. But you're still a human. And things happen. And when things happen, you have, to, you have to work on that. There's no shame in fixing your spiritual walk. There is no shame in going to God and having Him repair you and to fix you. There's no shame in that. You're not better than what you think you really are. You can't do it on your own. And many times people go through life with a problem that that just kind of talks to them and, and, and they, they understand, you know, that happened a long time, but it still haunts them. Something happens, but, but they never really get over it. They just kind of cover it up. And they think that if, you know, if I just put enough stuff on top of this, that, that eventually it'll go away. It will not go away. You're setting yourself up for catastrophic failure. Something that can eat away over time. And like I said, it could be over the course of five years. It could be over the course of 50 years. That something just eats at you. You messed this up and you never really got over it. You never really, let, you never really gave it to God. There's too much shame in that. There's no shame in that at all. God knows. He knows your heart. He knows your intents. He knows your motives behind everything that you do. So you think because you can hide it from people and you might be able to hide it from people that, that, that you're hiding it from God, but not really. Because God sees everything and He knows everything about you and He knows not just what you're thinking, but why you're thinking it. How many is glad to have a God that cares that much about us, that, that he knows everything that we're thinking and why we're thinking it. He knows where our heart is. He knows our sincerity. He knows everything about us. He knows the number of hairs upon our head. He knows everything about his people. You're not hiding anything from God. You're just setting yourself up for failure. There's scores that, that are embedded in people's lives and, and we don't want to recognize them because there's too much shame in pointing that out in our life. But, but no, you should take that to God and you should give that to Him. Because there's nobody that can do anything with it but God. Your pastor can't do anything with it. Your mom can't do anything with it. Nobody in your family can do anything with it. You can't do anything with it. Only God has something to do with it. I think back to that old song, nobody can touch you like Jesus can. 
and how true those words actually are. There's nobody that can touch you like Jesus. There's nobody that can heal you like Jesus. There's nobody that can move in your life like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. Hear me, church. If there's problems in your life, and I don't need to know anything. Nobody in here needs to know anything about one another. But hear me. Your deep-rooted scars will cause you to fall. And you might make it 20 years from now. And you're still going strong. But hear me. Eventually, it's going to catch up to you. We see what happens to Saul. And at the end of Saul's reign, how Saul finally decides to go out, the Bible tells us that Saul falls on his sword. He takes his own life. Brother Runyon, I have a feeling Brother Runyon knows This is very familiar to Brother Runyon because this doesn't just happen in a spiritual sense. But it also happens in an emotional sense. And and a problem can come and haunt somebody for years and years and years. And, And Brother Runyon, that's exactly the field that he's in. He's trying to help these people get away from that. But hear me, it's no different in the church. See, you can have spiritual spiritual scars that just they just keep coming back and they don't go and you just try to push them down a little farther, a little deeper. Maybe nobody will know, but, but hear me, they'll eventually bubble their way back up and you won't be able to, to hold them down forever. But ultimately it'll come back to haunt you. Stand with me all over this house. There's been some things in, in my own life that I've, I've struggled with. And I'm sure that that's the same for everybody under the sound of my voice. If you haven't struggled with something, I need to talk to you after service because I need to figure out how you do that. But everybody has struggled with something in their life. It may be as, as severe as suicidal thoughts. It may be as simple as maybe just some jealousy. Or maybe maybe it was a poor decision. Or maybe you have a problem with how you, you react to certain things. Or how you talk to people. See, there's no shame. And, and God forbid that anybody... And the church should look down on anybody else that's trying to course correct because there's nothing godly about that. How many know that we should help one another? People don't want to admit that, that they have flaws. There can even be problems with arrogance. You can think that you're too good. And it's a problem. 
And, and you think that it's not a problem, but it is a problem. And there's these things that they, you, they, just, they just take, there's a void in your life and, and ultimately that void will get bigger and bigger and bigger until it finally just caves in on itself. These altars are open. There's nobody quite like Jesus. I know we say that a lot. But when you just really just stop and think about that statement and the weight that that carries, there's nobody like Jesus. When you just stop and think that that he came down, a God that loved us so much came down and robed himself in flesh. There's nobody quite like Jesus. And, and he experienced everything that we experience in the flesh today because he was fully man and he was also fully God and he knows exactly what you're going through not only because he's God but because he was also a man so he understands temptation and he understands pain and he understands hurt and he understands betrayal and he understands all these things because he not only because he was a God because he was man as well How great does a God have to be to robe him own self and flesh to come down from the comfort of heaven just to walk a mile in our shoes? Not only just for a little while, but to sustain a whole ministry, to grow up, to start out as a little baby and have to depend on somebody else, to grow up and and be a child and and then grow into a man with the ministry. And he had to be, oh, when you just think about it. There's nobody quite like Jesus. And then he goes and he prays and he knows his time's coming. He knows what he's here. He knows what he's here for. And, and the flesh, the flesh doesn't want to, he, he doesn't want to be crucified. So he goes to the garden of Gethsemane and he starts to pray. And, and the Bible says that his sweat and his tears become his great drops of blood. Oh, there's nobody, nobody quite like Jesus. And he prays, he says, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Knowing what he was sent there for, but, but his flesh didn't want to do it so bad. He, he, did, he knew that he had the power, he could just take himself out of that situation, but he loved us so much. Because there's nobody quite like Jesus. They come to take him away people that's with him he Peter he jumps up and he grabs a sword and he swings it at somebody and he cuts the ear off of the guy and Jesus knowing that this man is here to take him and to help crucify him he picks his ear up and he puts it on the side of his head and he heals him he restores him oh there's nobody quite like Jesus And he corrects his disciples and he says, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And he, he, you don't even understand. We don't see it and the disciples don't see it, but that's the perfect plan of God. It will unfold in the next few chapters. Jesus goes and he drags his own cross and he, and he's being laughed at. He's being laughed to scorn and, and, and the people even choose a murderer over him. 
Oh, there's nobody quite like Jesus. And he takes, he takes the abuse. He takes the abuse from those people and, and you, you can imagine what, what Jesus looked like after that. He's so weak, he can't hardly stand by himself and, and he's dragging this cross and, and, and he's barefoot and I'm sure he's stepping on things and people are laughing at him and spitting on him and everything, but there's nobody quite like Jesus. And there's blood just flowing down his back and it's dripping off of his garments and it's hitting the ground and people are laughing and they're pointing. And there's nobody quite like Jesus. When we really stop and think about that. Oh, and you, you can just picture, picture it with me. Jesus, there he is. He's hanging on the cross. He's been through total hell. He's hanging there on the cross. And you know what Jesus says even after he's been beaten almost to death. And he's had these, these spikes driven into his arms and into his feet. And, and he's, he's, his, his bones are literally pulling apart from one another. And he's hanging on the cross. And you know what he says? Lay not the sin to their charge for they know not what they do. Because there's nobody quite like Jesus. These altars are open. Church, I can't stress it enough. If there's a problem in your life, you need to get that thing out of here tonight. You can't afford to wait till next Sunday. You can't afford to wait till next Tuesday. You can't afford to deal with that five years down the road. You need to deal with it tonight. It's been hiding there too long. Too long. There's no shame in bringing what you have to Jesus because he's the only one that can deal with it. He's the only one that can handle it because there's nobody quite like Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.